Fire from Farster, a podcast that talks about all the different ways you can help your print business lead the way. In each episode, we'll cover a range of topics such as the latest and greatest technologies for printers, industry trends, and knowledge that can help you run your business faster and smarter. So here we go. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Inkspire podcast. Uh, I'm really excited to be joined by um, two great people today. First of all, uh, Nicola Peacock, who's the one of the relationship managers at the printing charity and also a mental health first aider. And also Vicky Penketh, who is a clinical psychologist and one of the co-founders of the uh, Wellbeing Vision Collective as well. The topic that we wanted to talk about today, hence uh, Nicola and Vicky being with us, is to talk about uh, mental health and, and, and well-being in the, in the workplace. So uh, two great people to talk to about that, because I think it's becoming a really important topic for businesses to think about, especially in terms of, uh, you know, thinking about um, the, the, the culture of your business and the well-being of your business and, and your staff in, in current times and, and going forward as well. Um, so, uh, first of all, perhaps if we get a bit of uh, introductions and find out a bit more about you. So, uh, Nicola, um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, what it is you do and, and about the printing charity as well? Yeah, thanks for um, inviting me today, Ross. Um, yeah. Yes, a little bit about myself. Um, my career started about 25 years ago when I left Leeds Uni after graduating with a degree in manufacturing systems engineering. Um, but prior to that, my dad has been in the print industry all of his life and um, I suppose inks in my blood in a way. And even as like a young child getting Easter eggs, you know, would have the boxes ripped open and he'd be telling me how it was printed and how it was die cut, how it was glued together. So, you know, right. I thought I, thought I just did that with my kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I do it now, actually, to my little boy. It's, yeah, it's a bit of a, a habit, isn't it? So, it is, yeah, yeah it's so, you know, I'm from a print family, so, yeah, um, yeah it, it's in my blood. It's in, in the love for the industry. Um, so my, my career started really with my dad's company, Blackburns of Bolton, um, in the 90s. And we were one of the first companies to invest in the Indigo technology at the time, which, as you remember, was quite pioneering to invest yeah. back in the 90s. Mm. And actually, that was when I first came across Tharstons because we actually switched to your software. And because we had the Indigo, we um, helped you to develop the digital platform Yeah. Um, for your MIS. Um, so I've known Tharstons for yeah, 25 years. Um, and then from then on, I continued my passion for print and I actually joined HP Indigo and I worked there for 13 years in a variety of roles from business development, program management to marketing. And then I really embraced my love um, for sales in the labels and packaging market. And, um, and I finally said goodbye to um, printing in 2015 when I swapped my corporate baby to my um, my son who I had in 2015 um, and I thought then I'd done my time in the industry you know I'd worked hard um, I really loved it and I never actually thought I'd come back into the industry and then a few years ago the printing charity approached me to be one of their relationship managers um, for the newly launched helpline in 2019 so actually it'll be um, in fact it's my two-year anniversary at the charity um, now in September 
So that's my um, background. I'll just do a little bit about the charity. So um, as the sector's occupational charity, the printing charity is here to support people of all ages yeah. in genuine need and to make a positive difference to their lives with practical, emotional and financial support. So don't just think of it as print. We're here to help people across the sector, including paper, packaging, publishing, graphics, um, ink manufacturers, consumables, um, machine so, manufacturers. So it yeah, is the so whole suppliers to the industry as well, then. Yeah, absolutely. It's the whole supply chain of print. Um, we're here to support all those businesses. So I am going to talk about the helpline in more detail during the podcast, but I just wanted to highlight that we have um, a welfare team who are there to support our beneficiaries and, and also for new individuals um, with help that might need financial grants for a time of crisis, for example, a broken washing machine or um, for everyday money for essentials like heating and food. And then we have the relationship managers such as myself who look after businesses where we promote our helpline and other wellbeing tools. Yeah. But I'll talk about this a little bit more during the, the podcast. So that's um, that's where I'm coming from today. And also, as you said, I'm a mental health first aider. So I do have a genuine um, care for people in our industry. Yeah, cool. And I would definitely like to kind of come back to that, the, the mental health uh, first aider uh, uh, later on as well as we talk. Thank you very much for that introduction, Nicholas. I you've got a lot of experience and a lot of things and and and, uh, and a lot to bring to people. Uh, Vicky, what about yourself then? Hello, hiya. Uh, so I'm Vicky. Um, I'm a clinical psychologist and like you say, um, I'm involved with the Wellbeing Vision Collective. Um, so day to day, I spend a lot of time in the NHS working with individuals with mental health needs and organisations and teams and trying to empower those and promote health and well-being throughout the teams and the organisation. Um, and then alongside that, um, with two other colleagues, we have founded, well, initially we founded something called the Women's Vision Collective, which is very much yeah. about um, women's kind of well-being and promoting well-being. Um, and then we've developed something called the Wellbeing Vision Collective, which is very much about working with organisations to promote a health and well-being culture in the workplace but I think a key thing for us at the Wellbeing Vision Collective is really empowering organisations to embed that culture long term so um, we'll um, meet with an organisation we'll do a really thorough assessment of, of their needs what they want what they're looking for do some formulation work some making sense work what do we think from our kind of perspective that would be really helpful for them alongside what they want and then make some recommendations. But what we hope is that the recommendations that we put in place, the work that we do with organisations, be that training around um, well-being, be that kind of um, some of the stuff we do is around active listening workshops. It might be thinking about relationships at work. It might be kind of getting out um, and doing some kind of team building exercises um, yeah. outside in nature and promoting mental health that way and well-being that way but for us what we want to be able to do is to enable and empower organizations to be able to run with that independently and yeah. um, so we see ourselves as kind of a short-term resource um, for people so that we can really embed that culture set them on a path to kind of go forward with it themselves 
Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And if people want longer term support, that's absolutely fine. But our vision is to empower these organisations so that they can, yeah, like you say, run with it themselves. Yeah. And I know, I mean, I've heard a lot about the Women's uh, Vision Collective and, and some of the great things that you do there. It sounds like a great community that I think it, it operates on Facebook, doesn't it, as a, yeah. as a way that people can communicate, but you do physical events and things like that. And, yeah. and if, if, if the Wellbeing Vision Collective is anything like what you, you know, hear about what you do with the Women's Vision Collective, I think that is, is, is going to be a great thing for people to, to get involved with. Um, yeah. And I think it's, it's really inspiring what you've done there. Um, so, yeah, we're all kind of uh, sat here to, get to, to talk today to talk about mental health and well-being in, in the workplace. So I, I guess a good starting point is, is what, what, do we, what is, you know, mental health? What, 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 what is well-being? What, what are we talking about there? And, and Nicola, I know you're a mental health first aider uh, how, how did you get into that what is what is that that might help us to kind of position what we're talking about here yeah so when I visited Tharstons um, in January 2020 yeah. I met your mental health first aiders and we yeah. just launched the helpline um, at Tharstons mm -hmm. and I just saw the great work that you were doing so in terms of your well-being program the fact that you had mental health first aiders they shared the um, the knowledge with me and showed me the the mental health um, first aid you know books that you get with the course. So I had we had a quick like look through them, yeah, and um, we really you know got to understand how you were supporting employees. So we came away, and I luckily did the first aid training in the February 2020 face to face, which I think you know is a lot more powerful than um, yeah. obviously virtual training. So. It really helped me to um, understand how to speak to business leaders about mental health, mm. um, especially when I actively promote our helpline and support tools within um, the industry. So it was, yeah, it was brand new to me. Um, I know it's quite, um, you know, it's, it's your first kind of basic course in mental health. I'm sure there are other courses out there. Um, but for me, it's really helped me to understand the culture as well in businesses. So it's not just about a tick in the box. Yeah. You you know, you, you're on a mental health first aid course and then you're an expert, yeah. far from an expert. So, um, you know, mental health is part of well-being, isn't it? Mm, and we mm. all have mental health. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there is a stigma around it. And the more and more we can talk about it and normalise it, then the more it just becomes part of life. And the, I had um, a stat um, actually saying that mental health illness is the leading cause of sickness absence in the UK, costing over an average of £1,000 per employee per year. And according to the mental health charity Mind, every year one in four of us will experience a mental health problem and most being anxiety and depression. Yeah. So if you think about, you know, the past 18 months as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and I know, Tharston, we, we kind of went on a, we created an employee engagement team and, and we, you know, every, every business kind of has a, a first aid, a, a point of contact for first aid. Yeah. But then we'd, we'd come across the, this concept of a mental health first aider because what some of the feedback we got from from the employee engagement and some of the tools that we use like office five which kind of yeah surveyed staff on, on a regular basis or like anonymously 
we started to get this feedback about well-being and 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 people's feelings on that and stuff and so that's what led us to kind of thinking well yeah we, we, we have a first aider let's 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 go down the track of having a mental health first aider um i, I mean and vicky you're on the front line of this i guess really yeah. um, obviously dealing with people with yeah. with, with uh, mental health challenges i guess yeah. uh, what, what what's what's your you know how would you describe what mental health is and, and what, the well-being what sort of things are you dealing with you know how 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 can you uh explain it to us yeah i think it's really i think language is really important isn't it and i think lots yeah. of language gets kind of um floated about and I think it's it, different people feel more comfortable with different types of language I think yeah. just to make a point in terms of the mental health first aid training um I'm a real advocate for that I think it's absolutely superb and yeah. if organizations can sign up to that and, and and it's really accessible it's really cost effective um I think for me as a um as a psychologist I, yeah I'm a real passionate advocate for mental health first aid training it's I think what it does is it offers people if you're in if you're struggling at work um it offers you a safe place to go to meet with somebody that you know is skilled trained compassionate and that will know how to support you when you are experiencing a mental health difficulty mm. I think um there's also something about um it feels that mental health first aiders are, re- are there in, to react to a particular situation so I think that's one part of well-being at work and then for me the other part of well-being at work is this proactive kind of longer term and promoting a well-being culture at work alongside mental health first aid training so you've got mm. both of those you've got the reactive arm and you've got the proactive arm yeah I think um so when I think about mental health we're, we're thinking about trying to promote our mental health all the time Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think the language that um, is increasingly being used is 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 around well-being. And I think well-being is very much around kind of helping us trying to feel OK, content, um, that we're functioning, that we're good enough. Um, I think sometimes this aspiration to be um, happy, I think that's often some of the a, a lot of the language about aspiring to be happy. Mm. I would I would question that a little bit. I think yeah, that can yeah, set us up to fail that. sometimes. Yeah. I think what we want to aspire to, to be doing is to be feeling okay, to be feeling good enough. Um, and that day, you know, it's absolutely normal and typical and to be expected for us to experience some challenges in our lives. Um, and it's about how we have the capacity to cope and function during those difficulties. Um and that's what well-being is really. It's that that when when we are struggling, when life throws an obstacle at us or, or a hurdle at us, that we we can, we've got the support structures around us, that we can go and ask other people for help. Relationships are so important that we can go and ask people that we trust and value for help and support, and that we have our own coping strategies that we can kind of pull out of our toolbox to kind of help us cope every day. So that if we are feeling low and we are feeling anxious, that doesn't overwhelm us that we're like this is all right this is normal everybody feels anxious everybody feels low at times mm. I can do this I can get through it it feels awful today but actually tomorrow will be a new day mm. um so that we've got the tools that it doesn't overwhelm us and um really impact on our on our functioning and I think sometimes 
different cultures or use different languages and different people will feel comfortable with different languages. Some people might define it as their mental health. Some people might define it as well-being. I think it's about finding a language for the individual and, the, and that organisation that is a really good fit for them that will yeah. destigmatise um, and will encourage a dialogue and a conversation about these. Yeah, these I, 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 yeah, absolutely. Kind of, kind of opening up to kind of create a platform to, to uh, and like you say, a safe place to, to, to be able to feel feel free to speak about things but um and that's interesting you say that because when when Tharston got on board with the um having mental health first aiders as a as a part of that one of the people that had stepped forward as as, as um as as to be one of the mental health first aiders and, and I believe it doesn't take up a lot of their time you know and it's not about training to be a counsellor and, and, and things like that it's just about being able to listen and signpost yes. people isn't it really yeah um, being able to listen i think being able to emotionally contain to be able to yeah. scaffold support and like you say signpost and it's like you say it's not counseling it's it's a different skill yeah. set and i think you know so so for some organizations thinking whoa what what, what, what is this involved what liability am i going to have and yeah. uh, you know it, it, it's not that it is just kind of it, it's what we just talked about there um but one of the things that happened for us is that one of the mental health first aiders kind of spoke out about why they felt they, that was, you know, they're passionate about that and, and some of their own experiences with anxiety and uh, and, and things from, from the, that they've been facing. And as soon as that person um, shared that into the company using, I think we, we, we weren't teams at the time, but it was something similar, you know, an internal messaging system yeah. where they kind of shared that feeling. Um, it, it, other people then stepped forward and kind yeah. of said, "Me too." It, yeah. it, you know, yeah. I've I've experienced that. I thought it was just me. Um, yeah. and, and and you know, and and then we, that kind of you know, we had people management kind of sharing as well. So we we're starting yeah. to see that it's not just it's people at the top, yeah. and it's every, it's everybody yeah. kind of can experiences that. And and I think there's a I, I don't know if I've missed quoted them misread this or whatever but it's almost like there's a thing that almost everybody at some point in their life will most likely experience some kind of mental health challenge or or, or, yes. or anguish um yeah. uh, we might not even recognize it um yeah. that, that that's what we've gone through but it because it, it, that is that's what we are we, we, <laughs> we, we're humans and and, yes. and that's what happens to us but yeah I, I really like what you said there because that aligns with what we yeah. uh, we experienced that too that it started to open that yeah. and and you start to see people more positively um because it's like the human you know yeah. you have you start to develop compassion for each other yes. um yeah. and it 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 also i think we, i found was just in meetings in general um it, it started to help I think people to feel a bit more freely to speak yeah a bit more a bit more safe with their colleagues because because yeah. it's like that you've got that emotional connection yeah with, with, yeah. with people um and and it, you know which makes you I don't know maybe that makes you feel a bit safer to kind of you've shared with me so I'm going to share with you yeah. and I, I feel comfortable yeah. to actually voice my opinion yeah. and voice my idea as well um yeah. so it starts to make it starts it starts to make meetings more productive. Yeah. Um. And I think you know, especially through the lockdown, um, it just connecting with each other online and and yeah. And it, it's just simple things that you 
you can sometimes just look at someone and you know are you okay yeah 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 you, you don't seem okay are you, are you, yeah. you know ask, asking yeah. that question again are you, are you yeah, sure it's asking twice isn't it, it? Is, i don't yeah. know is that like something that but it, yeah. it's um and when somebody does that it's like you think oh, okay somebody somebody's yeah. want, wants to listen to me yeah. Uh, um and you know yeah. I, that so just sharing our journey of it and maybe that because i was going to lead on to the to the next thing of because it, it it's it's it all sounds really great but why why would a company want to do this what what you know um for, for people that are listening who aren't already down this path what what why would a, a business be interested to do this and i know nicola you mentioned a couple of stats there about the the potential cost what, what about you know what's your experience with that vicky what would you say to to, to, to that yeah i think it's similarly it, it, listening to nicola and the statistics that she gave you know it's it's freely available employees can look organizations can look off all you need to do is quick google office of national statistics yeah. and they've got a breakdown of of the reason why staff are absent from year to year um so yeah uh, I had a look and 2020, 15.9 million days were lost to people kind of being off work due to their mental health needs. And I think there's a lovely report, um, again, if people wanted to Google this and, and have a look by Vaughan, Jones and Barnum 2009, and they talk about a healthy workforce is more motivated, innovative, resourceful, resilient, engaged and loyal. Yeah. And I think in my experience in working in organisations, if we feel that we can really, really connect to the organisation's values and those values connect with mine, mm. that is a fantastic place to start. That is a brilliant foundation to start. And well-being will will grow from there and will thrive from there. Yeah. Um, and I think there was, there's also kind of other data when you look at the Office of National Statistics. It talks about kind of up to £42 billion can be... Um, it can cost employers when people are struggling with their mental health difficulties. Some of that is about being off sick. Yeah. Some of that is about high staff turnover. But some of that is about people coming into work, but struggling to function at work yeah. and not telling people why they're struggling to function because yeah. of the stigma sometimes associated with talking about our mental health needs. Um, so and I think what you just said then, Ross, about your mental health first aiders. What I love about mental health first aid training is it does start to just open that dialogue and it starts to what I'd, I'd use the term what we call normalising. Mm, it starts to yeah. really normalise and open and open that dialogue and start that culture where talking about feeling it, that it's OK not to feel OK becomes absolutely mm. acceptable. And I think what you just said then about just asking, are you OK? Mm. I think that's a really, really important question. And one of my tips would be if you're going to ask that, make sure you've got the time. Yes. To, to, to sit with that. And more often than not, in my experience, um, the psychological literature tells us this. And when, you know, when I'm in therapy with people, when I'm sitting with friends and family, most of the time people have their own resources. People have the answers themselves. People know what they want to do. They've probably been through something similar before. And what people want from us usually day to day, colleague to colleague, friend to friend, peer to peer, what usually what people want from us, if we're asking, are you okay? And then they say to us, actually, no, I'm struggling. Like I think you said before, Ross, it's that listening ear. It's that listening ear. I think sometimes there's a, 
we have the culture that we want to try and fix and we want to try and make it better mm. um and, and we think oh i need if somebody's telling me they're struggling i need to tell them about my own experience and tell them what i did and so try and stick yeah. a plaster on it and fix it for them and most of the time people want to listen want us to listen and uh, the reason why that's protective psychologically is it enables the person that is the talker to process and make sense and that is hugely valuable for our well-being hugely yeah. valuable for our mental health it's really really protective it mm. reduces the overwhelm and it helps us make sense so just by listening and really actively listening lots of nodding lots of yeses lots of repeating back lots of paraphrasing back that is often enough people don't need us to say i think you should do this i think you should do that it's the listening mm. that, that, that can be really really powerful yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, absolutely right. Go on, Nicola, sorry, you were about to say something. Yeah, I was going to, um, so everything there is, um, you know, what I've been thinking myself in terms of we're all too quick, aren't we, to try and give somebody a solution, to try and make them feel better. And as you say, it's having somebody in a safe place where they can open up. Yeah. And, you know, we have two ears, one mouth. Let's listen yes. more. And it's not just yeah. about listening, but it's understanding what they're saying as well. Yeah. And not listening to answer back. And and that's when businesses really need to understand who would make a good mental health first aider. Yes. So somebody with empathy, somebody who's very open, um, somebody who's friendly, you know, possibly not a line manager, because most of the time people don't want to talk to a line manager, even though it might be in a different part of the company. Mm. They'd rather somebody that is um, in a different department, but mm. um, not in a managerial role. And it's making that that safe space um, at those businesses for people to have those conversations and, you know, just having that um, solution to talk and share um, that can take anxiety right down, can't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you know, I, I just want to pick up on something there as well. Where you talked about that active listening, Vicky, as well. Yes. Um, I think that is um, that is a skill that can benefit so many areas of yes. your life anyway yeah. in, in your personal life yeah. in, in, in 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 the context of mental health yeah. um and, and i find um since i've tuned into the to at, what active listening is yeah it helps me so much in my in my, yeah. in my work life yeah. in yeah. terms yeah. of when i'm engaging with customers or yeah. engaging with colleagues to to kind of actively listen um can you describe a little bit you know what what active listening is for for, for people because i think that's i know it's shooting off in a direction a little bit but i think that's um yeah. that's, but that's it's a, interesting a good thing yeah. because I, I found it it helps massively um yeah. is that something you can describe to us what 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 we mean by active listening i think when when you've done active listening you can it's, i think it's really important to have the experience once you've had an experience of being actively listened to compared to kind of typical listening yeah if you if you experience that the quality of it is so different so I think typically when we go about our day-to-day -day lives we're really busy we're in a meeting we're listening to our colleagues what typically happens for a lot of us is the mind what it typically does is it wanders yeah it's thinking it's ruminating mm -hmm. so we might be sat here together you've just asked me a question what is active listening I might have wandered off and then I need to come back and go say, what, what, sorry? Yeah. Typically, most of us will be thinking about what's the next task we need to be doing. Yeah. Maybe an intrusive thought will pop in yeah. that we weren't expecting. It might be something we've got to do tonight. Yeah. 
that most of the time our brains are it's so active and they're ruminating they're thinking they're planning they're problem solving all the time mm-hmm. um so active listening is really trying to slow down and truly be in tune and attend to the person yeah um and i think once you've experience being actively listened to and once you have actively listened and you've practiced that and there's lots of games and techniques to help skill us up to do that um the quality of it is so different and people have said to me it feels a bit like goosebumps when somebody is truly listened to you you feel truly seen truly heard and it yeah almost a bit of a goosebump experience it probably helps to establish that connection doesn't it yes yeah. most likely as well maintaining eye contact yeah. you're, you're focusing in on it and yeah yeah I, I, I've done a moment sometimes yeah. where you, you you just get that feeling or when somebody's talking to you sometimes you you, you get the reverse that sometimes you're listening to them thinking I'm, I'm really focused on yeah this. yeah I'm yeah. really in tune and yeah. I'm, when you're on the receiving end of it I think it's something about being feeling truly listened to truly valued and truly seen yeah seen and heard and the power of that you've talked in the podcast about the power of that in lots of different ways in personal lives professional lives it's transferable yeah definitely i think um since i've kind of became aware of the idea of active listening um it's it's something that through putting it in practice i've found that it does really help in 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 meetings at work and, and or in conversations or when i'm talking to customers and trying to understand what their challenges are and you know how we can help them um but you're right it helps in personal life yeah. as well in, in terms of when you're having a conversation with your, your partner or your, your kids or yeah. friends and stuff just to kind of like just think actually you, you might be having that conversation to like put down what you're doing yeah. and turn to that person and just 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 focus in and, and listen yeah um and i think especially it, it's become more important with online yes. meetings all the time as well because it's so easy to be on that online meeting and then start looking at your emails yes. or um, a notification pops yes. up and, and, and getting distracted it's very easy to, to yeah and, and yes we can to a degree probably um multitask but you're not doing its full focus yeah. you're going to miss out on, yeah. on it uh, on, on the on the true yeah right uh, understanding yeah. yeah yeah and I'm guessing your professional life as well that that must be a real big thing oh yeah 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 a huge part of our training is active listening and I think that's something that myself and the other co-founders of the Wellbeing Vision Collective are really passionate about we've um two of us have done lots of peer support in the past mm. one one I'm a psychologist one of us is a counsellor we've done lots of active listening training it's something that we're really passionate about and it feels so simple sometimes I think um to bring into people's workplaces mm. so we do and we can offer kind of active listening workshops and it feels like a simple intervention but such a powerful one yeah such a powerful one yeah absolutely and, 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 and it, I mean it's, it's not easy sometimes the active listening but it, it I, I always find it feels so rewarding yeah at, at, at the end of that because you just like that connection is there but yeah. I, I just feel like I've understood it more yeah, um, and, and let that conversation guide. Yeah, um, the, the the where it goes, kind of thing. Um, it just it's worth the effort. I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Should we practice a little game then? Yeah, cool. We've got an active listening game. So we'll see how this goes. When myself and my colleague first 
were taught this and practiced it. We made loads of mistakes. It was absolutely hilarious. So we'll see how we go. It's just really, really simple. Just a quick demo of what it's like to do an active listening game. And this just warms people up. So yeah. we do this to start with. And then later on, you do more conversation yeah. and active listening practice with conversation and active listening practice with summarizing, paraphrasing. Yeah. But this is just kind of a bit of a warm up just to get people in the mood when we're having a bit of fun in our okay. workshops. So we start off with numbers. Right. So I say one, you'd say two, I'd say three. So we just do that for a moment. Okay. In, so, a, in a cycle. Yes, in okay. a cycle. So you, the idea of this is you are listening out for number three. Right. Um, or I'm listening out for number three and then I need to move to number one. Yeah. So I'll start first. So one. Two. Three. One. Two. Three. One. Two. Three. One. Two. Three. Okay. And because you're using an odd number, we both have to really, really actively listen yeah. as to which one's going to come up first. Yeah, it goes in a different pattern, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and then we use some movement. So we're going to start with a clap. So I'm going to start with one. You'll say two, and instead of three, I'm going to replace three with a clap. So then when you hear clap, you need to say one. Okay. Okay. So one. Two. One. Two. One. Two. One. Two. <laughs> that's it, that's it. And then as it progresses, you start changing each number. So two would become a click. I don't know if you could hear that on the podcast. And then three would become a stomp. Um, so then you're really having to really, truly pay attention to what the other person is doing so that you can respond accordingly. Um, and then usually if you've got a big room of people, it's just hilarious. You can hear people laughing all over yeah. and people make loads of mistakes to begin with. But after a bit, they, uh, they nail it. They absolutely get it. They do it perfectly. And then we do more stuff like that. And then later on, we move on to more conversational, active listening. Mm. And usually we do that stood up as well. So you've got a bit of movement. Yeah. And it sounds, I mean, that was fun and you can yeah definitely feel that the concentration that you need yeah. to, to try and keep it but and it, it's it might almost feel a bit awkward to do it in it but imagine if you did that at the beginning of a meeting just to yes. kind of yeah fine tune people yeah. in to go you know let's, yeah. let's, let's get our listening heads on yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and and just start off yeah. with that i can't yeah. you know yeah. it, 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 imagine that being done very often but yeah. it would be a great way to just kind of start oh it'd be a great start. way to start it'd be a fun way to start yeah. you'd be using your bodies nice more breaker. a bit of an icebreaker you'd be stood up and i think it does get those kind of neural pathways a bit more active yeah. and and i think a bonus of it is apart from active listening we're so sedentary all the time like just getting up and having a bit of fun and connecting with people that way yeah it's a different way to connect isn't it I have a, because I think it's so important, I have a, a poster, a little poster on the wall in front of me to try and remind me to get, it's the only thing on the wall to get me back into that like a little acronym, I think it's uh, AFFORD, um, which is uh, attention, focus, feelings, observe, restate or rephrase, and then determine. And, and it just, I just find that so helpful to have in front of me just to, it helps me to, to stay in the room for that meeting and, and yeah. not get yeah. um, kind of, like you say, interrupted by the these random thoughts that come into yeah. your head or yeah. especially even more so when you're online meetings. It's so easy yeah. to have yeah. a, another window open on your screen yes. and checking yes. you. And it's like, so, yeah. it, it, you know, I try myself to ch shut yeah. them things down and, and just, just focus on, on, on that. Um, and, and yeah, I think that's a big part of being a mental health first aider, isn't it? Or, or how we, how we can be there for, for each other. 
Um, I think a big part of being a mental first aider, but also a colleague, a leader. Yeah. yeah. And, and like you said, Ross, it's for me, active listening is around promoting well-being, but in, in industry, it and it can have a significant benefit, like you said, in your sales meetings or, you know, yeah. personally with your relationships, with your partners, with your friends, yeah. with your family. It, it's, it's endless benefit. And it's yeah. really, really simple, but it but it takes practice. Yeah, definitely. And, and I like what you said there as well, that it, it, it's, um, it, it, it takes you away from trying to fix something straight yes. away. That might be something that, that somebody's looking for help with, with, with but maybe not immediately. And, and yeah. you know, I'm, I'm thinking in terms, you know, in terms of business discussions here that yes. we might be trying to steer towards a solution, but that's not the, the first thing. And uh, I know I was certainly culpable of that in, in the past of, of like, jumping into must fix this must fix yeah. this um yeah. why not without this? assessing why not? Yeah. without yeah. understanding yeah yeah um and, and like i say it, it's i found it's just a really beneficial technique um to to help make meetings more productive to help engage with customers to help get to the the the, the, the nub of what we what we are looking to solve um and, and you know and, and and just kind of foster them relationships as well um, so I guess that's a, we've shooted off a little bit there, but that's perhaps a, a benefit to why a business and people might want to think about that as well. Um, so in terms of being uh, doing this and, and, and being, a, you know, people might be listening here and going, I'm not sure I could be a mental health first aider sort of thing. And um, it, it, do, do you think, you know, learning to be empathetic and is that something you can learn, do you think? Is that? Is that a teachable thing or, or, or do you think it needs to be a certain person that does that? I, well, I've come across various different types of people in the industry who are mental health first aid. And what I would say, the majority of the people that I do meet are people that genuinely care about their yeah. co-workers. Yeah. They do have empathy. They do have some level of good yeah. listening skills. Yeah. And they do want to help. Um, that's not to say that somebody who doesn't have those skills can't yeah. be a good mental health first aider, because, mm. you know, I do believe that people can change and we're evolving all the time, aren't we? Yeah. And just because somebody might not have been empathetic in the first half of their mm. life doesn't mean that they can't be in the second half. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard a lot um, in the past few years about oh you know people don't change well yeah you can't change somebody but somebody can change themselves yeah. so you might have somebody that's on their own personal journey with mm. well-being and mental health that wants to go into mental health first aid because it might be a type of therapy for them also to uncover um how they can help themselves because it's like helping them sorry helping others to help themselves as well yeah yeah, yeah. um so I don't know. What do you think, Becky? Does, does it, somebody have to have specific skills? I think it's a really interesting question. And I, I think mental health first aid trainers, the people will know if they want to do it. Yeah. People yeah. will know. And, right and yeah. absolutely, absolutely. And it has to be an invitation. It can't be mandatory. Yes. Um, it has to be an invitation. And people will you know it might be that they need to find out a little bit more about it to know if it'd be a good fit for them mm. um but you know i think a lot of people are, are doing that type of stuff in, in intuitively yeah um anyway um 
what mental health first aid training does is it kind of it raises the profile of that type of work in the organization doesn't it? it raises the profile of who those people are that they can go to and you're really confident that those people have got a skill set that they've been trained in and that they're certified in yeah. um i think you make a really important point nicola about um sometimes people that are mental health first aid trainers it might be that they're on a discovery journey themselves and they're working on their own well-being mm-hmm. um and i think that's absolutely great um and mental health first aid training any training to do with well-being and mental health can absolutely do that um and i think what all those training courses kind of do really really well is look at boundaries and coming back to what you said before ross in terms of maybe organizations being a bit anxious potentially about what is what is my role what is my responsibility what is the yeah. boundary of this training like mental health first aid training puts a really nice boundary around it so that yeah. um I know what my role is in terms of mental health first aid training. If I'm kind of going on my own journey, I won't necessarily share that with you, Nicola, if you were to come to me, if you were struggling, because I've already done that discovery elsewhere in a safe space elsewhere. Yeah. Um, So there's a boundary there. So I'm the mental health first aid trainer. I'm there to serve. Say, for example, if you came to me, Ross, I'm there to serve you. I'm not there to bring my own mental health journey to, to, to that um, dialogue. Um, but I am there to normalise. I am there to support you. I am there to listen. I am there to signpost you. Um, and I think they do put a really nice boundary around where the role of the mental health first aid trainer ends and where maybe therapy might begin, where maybe counselling might begin, so that people are, are less likely to feel anxious and, and, and worried if that they might be breaching that boundary. That's the beauty of those types of training courses. And there's also a training course. And again, if you give it a Google, lots of institutions are doing this now called Psychological First Aid Training. It's got a bit of a different flavour and a bit of a different feel. Some of it is um, was developed in response to living and working through a pandemic. Right, OK. So the thing is, with mental health first aid training, it's usually a crisis that somebody's experiencing. that will have a beginning a middle and an end with a pandemic the end is 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 unclear so it's it's we're living through it um so psychological first aid training it's got a slight it it comes at it from a slightly different lens there's more active listening in there there's more normalizing in there um and it's trying to help people um as, as, they re, as they kind of come forward to you, trying to respond to people um, and support people when there might not be an end of the crisis in sight. Yeah. Yeah. So when it's a kind of a longer period of um, of time where maybe things are yeah. feeling unsafe. Um, so I'd really recommend the psychological first aid training. And similarly with the mental health first aid, there's nuggets that you can take out of that yeah, that will yeah. promote well-being within your culture. Yeah, that sounds really good. And all these things you've mentioned as well, uh, Nicola and Vicky, we'll, we'll make sure we put these into the, the, the show notes as well at the end. Right? So the, the, the article that you mentioned about uh, by Bone, Bone Jones and uh, Bone Bowman, I think you said, um, and, and, and these links yes. as well, we'll find yeah, them and we'll, we'll, we'll put them in there so people can follow up these resources afterwards. So I think it's great that you share yeah, it. The Mental Health for England website is a big one for yeah. some great st- statistics as well. That's cool. So we'll 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 put them in um, definitely. And uh, actually, in that uh, stud- that article that you referenced as well, Becky, you mentioned there about the um, some of the benefits of of, of motivation. Yeah. Um, 
and 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 I, I think that is definitely a, a a big thing. And from my own introspective kind of observations of it that I've seen in organisations, it it brings about a different type of motivation. I think it brings about intrinsic motivation, internal, yes. rather yeah. than the typical external motivation of bonuses, rewards, and yes. do this, do that. It, 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 um, it, which is is. It is a whole different culture in a business when you've got intrinsically motivated um, uh, yeah. people um, because they kind of, you know, they're taking responsibility themselves and they're empowered to do that and things and um, and they want to be there um, yeah. because they've, they've, they've identified with the values and the culture of that business, yes. and, which is another big thing. I think there's a, a the, the, the younger generation that are coming into into the workforce and and nicola we know that the printing industry suffers uh in, in terms of bringing in new talent into the industry doesn't it and and i think for that generation i so admire them because that that is a really important thing to them that the, the, there's more focus on they want to identify with, 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 with the, on the values of the business it's not always about this job pays me the most money. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I, I, um, yeah. I, you know, it, it's about this role feels right for me. This organisation feels right for me. And so, you know, probably another, and maybe not just, you know, I don't want to other, other, a, a, a whole generation there, but that that seems to be the where the reports come from. But I think it's becoming more for for anyone really that that it's it, it, the happiness in your job comes from other things not just the financial yeah. rewards and, and and the values of your organization and, and identifying with them and that culture is is a big part of it yeah uh, and i think sorry ross yeah go on well i was going to say if i put my old sales hat on mm. um you know i'm a big believer that people buy from people yeah and you can have the best product in the market but if you don't get support from people internally, then you're not going to achieve your goals, are you? And I see that um, coming into well-being. So you could have all, you know, you could have the best kind of tools in the company, the best support system. But if the culture's not right, from a cultural point of view, I think people in leadership in different functions of the business, marketing, yeah. HR, managing director, production director, ops director, um, finishing departments you know IT we need that culture within every function and every department to support people yeah so I think no matter what your role what, what you're saying there Nick was no matter what your role is in, in the organization we've all got to contribute to this we've all got a part to play yeah uh, to, 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 to bring about that that right culture and 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 yeah kind of help to normalize this and yeah. and um and support each other yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, beans everybody's business. Yes, that's a nice yeah. way, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is, isn't it? It is. Uh, um, okay. So, so Vicky, what? Tell us a bit more about what, what you do. When when would a, a, a an organisation approach you? What would prompt them to 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 get in touch with you, maybe, and and uh, want to work with you with the Wellbeing Vision Collective? I think more recently, examples have been. I think the pandemic has been a, a bit of a, a bit more of a trigger for people to um, think about well-being in the workplace a, a bit more because I think one thing I think that has come out of the pandemic is 
we've got a real shared experience, haven't we, of living through COVID-19, living through this virus, living through arguably a threat and a shared a shared sense of that, a shared yeah. sense of anxiety. So that so I think that's been able to normalise talking about feeling anxious. Yeah. Um, but also a shared pulling together to scaffold and to support each other. And I think from that organisations have, have been talking more about feeling anxious, how to protect their staff, how to look after their staff, how to promote well-being when people are working remotely. As we're kind of moving towards a, more of a hybrid model or people kind of going back to office spaces, trying to help staff feel safe in doing that. And I think the pandemic has almost kind of raised the profile of well-being really and, and normalised how to to have a dialogue about we need to yeah. think about supporting our staff and I think for a long time organizations have absolutely been trying to do that but it feels like there's a bit more of a momentum about that now um so I've had organizations approach us around the well-being vision collective because people want to be thinking more about that mm. um, and how can they kind of embed that for the long term yeah um so that it's not just kind of a thinking about the pandemic but in the longer term how can they promote a, a culture of well-being throughout their organizations um and it's for me you know it's it's really easy for me to, to say with the psychology hat on but it's just a win-win you, yeah. your colleagues are going to feel good and your customers are going to feel good and absolutely um yeah all of those things kind of people are going to be more motivated but and i think one of the things that we know is if we are feeling okay, if we are feeling content, if we are feeling calm, our cognitive functioning is better. The frontal lobe mm -hmm. is better. We're going to be more reflective. We're going to have more capacity to think. We're going to have more capacity to be creative. If we are feeling anxious, if we are in fight or flight, that reduces that. Yeah, it kind of it shuts down, doesn't Absolutely. it, Daniel? Because you, your body's just focusing on focusing on survival mode which is a little bit like a you see that you know a, a businesses have had to do that haven't they they've, they've had to focus kind of forget all the creativity things and the the projects they're working on they've had to yes. focus into survival mode absolutely uh, and, and, and there's absolutely yeah. a place for that that's yeah, yeah. that is needed in the short term there's absolutely a place that in the longer term yeah that that can become challenging and difficult mm. can't it and we want mm -hmm. to kind of promote getting back to that space where we're out of the threat system we're out of fight or flight and that we are feeling more safe and mm. we can get back to doing what we were doing before where we were more creative more innovative um but yeah i, I think we've spoke about this before haven't we but one of the ways i like to think about um our well-being is kind of thinking about the three emotion systems okay i find that people find it really um intuitive it really makes sense to them um, and I think it's a really nice, simple way for us to think about kind of our emotional systems in this way. So kind of these three main systems, we've got the threat system, yeah, which doesn't need much nurturing, doesn't need much attention, takes care of itself. And we've got the drive system and the soothe system. So I think for, for quite a while we've been in the threat system. So that is when if we are feeling um, threatened in any way, if we're feeling unsafe in any way, if we're feeling vulnerable in any way, 
our kind of nervous system is activated, fight or flight response comes, we're more likely to have lots of adrenaline, lots of cortisol. And that is when, like we said before, it's harder to think, it's harder to be reflective, we're just in survival mode. And there's a place for that, there's absolutely a place for that. Um, for example, if, you, if you're crossing the road and a car's coming at you, it's really, really helpful. Yeah. If you recognise that threat, you go into fight or flight and you've, yeah. you've got an increase of blood flow to the muscles so that you can move out of the way really, really quickly. The mm. adrenaline is really, really helpful for that. Um, but we don't want to be in that all the time. We don't want mm. it. Um, and we, I imagine that puts your body on. If you're in that for a long time, that puts your body under stress, doesn't it? If your adrenaline is always high. and it, it, Absolutely. It, yeah. And that does impact your um, your health as well, doesn't it? You know, we've talked about that before. Yeah, that your, your physical health. health. Yeah. Your body. Yeah, yeah, it impacts yeah. your health negatively. Yeah, and that and the threat system doesn't really need us to pay attention to it. It takes care of itself. Yeah, yeah threat. You know, we we notice when when we're feeling unsafe and that system is triggered and we respond accordingly to keep ourselves safe. What what we need to pay more attention to and I think probably everybody needs to do more more of this and I certainly do as a psychologist you know I know what I should be practicing and I do my best but it does slip off it does yeah it's the soothe system and the drive system that I think particularly in the pandemic is we've really really struggled and the drive system I tend to think about that is it's things that um we get kind of reward from when we feel like we're achieving or we feel like we're having fun and that's associated with kind of um the lovely um dopamine um and we kind of feed and nourish the drive system if we're doing maybe a leisure activity that we love so i know we've talked about wild swimming when we when we've met before um or you work in somewhere that you love and yeah. that's not to say that you love work every day but that you you know you might have days where you f- you find it really really tough to be at work mm. but that you're connected with the values of that organization yeah. Or you're connected with the, with your colleagues in that organisation where you feel supported and you feel scaffolded. Yeah. Um, I haven't said about, you know, just working at the charity that I just love what I do. Um, having spent a lot of time in more pressurised roles in a corporate world with a yeah. big sales target on my head. I'm now in a way in a sales role because even though our support tools are free of charge, yeah. I'm still actively going out in sales, but I do it for the love of the industry and for the love of wanting to help people. Yeah. 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 And, and so in terms of your drive system there, that that's giving you that that feeling of of, of achieving, of, of contributing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm. And every time I sign somebody, well, sorry, a company up to the helpline, let's say 100 employees, it's not just hundred people I'm helping it's a hundred families that that the charity is helping yeah 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 yeah. and it sounds like before the charity Nicola there's that sense of like you say ink being in your blood it's that sense of you know for some people they might connect to the drive system through this is my identity you know we're a print yeah. family this is what we do it's just finding whatever the hook is for you yeah you know um like you say, it might have been a more corporate world at one time, but if that hook is still there, is you know, this is this is my identity, this is who I am, this is a big part of who I am, then that drive system will be really nurtured and nourished. And I think that has been really difficult over the last couple of years because maybe people have been more disconnected because they've been working from home. Um, maybe you know, production has slowed down for various reasons, and it's trying to pay more attention to that and nourish that and nurture that because it's really protective for our well-being. 
Mm-hmm. And then the other system that I like to think of is the soothe, soothe system. It's not me. It's the it's um um kind of more of a kind of psychological kind of approach. It's not just mine. I've not just made this up myself. <laughs> if, we, if you look up compassion focused therapy, there's evidence there for okay. it. Okay. Um, so yeah, the other one is the soothe system, and that's we that's a really really important system to pay attention and to try and nourish and that's about trying to slow us down a bit to soothe the nervous system to soothe ourselves and that's associated with feeling content with feeling safe with feeling connected and the lovely um, oxytocin in our bodies that helps us feel really really nice and what we tend to find at the moment is the threat system is more activated with what's going on and the drive and the soothe systems which are really protective for our well-being they've Mm. dropped off a bit um And what I, I mean, I don't know if, if other people are, are similar to me, but I often use the metaphor kind of thinking about physiotherapy. We're really, really good at doing our physio when our back's a bit achy. And then yeah. as soon as it's fine, we're like, oh, it's fine. I don't need to do anything. And then a few months later, you're like, oh, I'm achy again. And then you do your physio again. And I think that's what tends to happen with our well-being. When we're struggling, we're really, really good. We might exercise, we might eat well, we might drink less, we might do lots of meditation, we might go while swimming. And then we might let that slip a bit because we're feeling all right. And yeah. then we're struggling a bit again. We're thinking, oh, why? And it's because those things have dropped off a bit. Yeah. Um, and it's trying to, Some I was speaking to somebody the other day and they were thinking about, I associate kind of looking after myself and doing things like exercise, mindfulness with not feeling good because I only do it when I'm not feeling good. And what I yeah. need to do is try and do a little bit of it all the time so that I associate it with, actually, it's just a big fat dollop of TLC. Yeah. Um, it's not a bad thing to do because I'm struggling. It's a big fat dollop of TLC for myself. I think that's it. And it's, it, it sound, it's about in that uh, uh, tagging on to that, but it's kind of like about creating new habits, isn't it? Yes. Um, or, or, or not new habits or um, um, something that you do, uh, becoming a more yes. regular habit yeah. um, to kind of keep that TLC going. I, yeah. I, I like that analogy of the of the physiotherapy it's a little bit yeah. like uh, you know trying to keep fit physically fit yes you know or you you want to lose weight or whatever your your motivation is yeah you, you know people get to that point and then they go right that's it I, I, I'm now. Now. I don't need to go to we've all gym. done that though haven't we? we've all <laughs> yeah. done that all i can have 10 packets of biscuits this weekend now because i've been oh, to the gym we've all done it <laughs> it's almost like in a similar context of the physiotherapy the pain has, has gone away and then so we think we, we we you know we don't need it but actually to stay physically fit we need to keep on uh we need to keep on exercising we need to keep on eating healthily and and and, and doing yeah. all that things and and uh, and that kind of like keeps keeps maintains yeah. what you achieve and and i think there becomes a crossover point where you, you become a i am a fit, uh, you know yes. I am a person that exercises yeah. rather than I want to be yeah. Uh, um, yeah, or I should yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of yeah. you just become I am that person I think there's, there's yes. loads of evidence I've read about that you know studies where it talks about when people kind of identify as I am yeah it changes their bit behavior Absolutely. a little bit as well doesn't Absolutely. it you know um, um and, and just sticking with the physical health metaphor for a yeah. minute as well I think like you say I am fit I am fit and there might be inevitably a time where maybe something happens and mm. maybe you become unwell but mm. when you've got that fitness in the bank your recovery mm. is quicker and yeah. I think yeah. the same for your mental health and your well-being if you are looking after your mental health and then there's a bump in the road and there's a life event that you were not expecting mm. and it kind of 
it's a bit of a tsunami and it really kind of knocks you off your feet mm. if you have invested in your well-being before that you are going to feel more resilient during that time and there might be days where you think this is just awful and I'm struggling to get out of bed today but yeah. you're more likely to get out of bed the next yeah. day or the next day because yeah. you've invested in your, in your well-being beforehand yeah so I've, you'll be more resilient when when that's if if not when if if is if a tsunami hits and something happens in your life that you weren't expecting um that can challenge our our, our well-being um yeah. actually i saw the other day and it was something along the lines of if you don't take time now for your health and that could be mental health let's say then you're going to have to make time for an illness Mm. that's an interesting one isn't mm. it yeah. Mm. yeah 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 i think there's becoming a lot more kind of awareness of the of the linkage isn't there between physical health and mental health and um, you know even to the point where there's there's lots of stuff coming out about um the the impact your gut health has on how on your mood and how how you feel it's it's um but you, you know what you eat um yeah. can have a, a, a and the variety of what you eat affects your gut yeah. and that there's big yeah. links really between uh levels of depression and, and things like that there was a, a study done where they um I, really summarizing this now but i think that they, they, they had a a, a a group of people and they, they had like 30 grams of fiber a day or something for over yeah. a period of time and then there was a, a another uh, uh um, group that didn't and the the levels of depression really dropped in, in these groups over over a period of time just through changing yeah. the diet nothing, yeah. nothing else is yeah. really happening yeah but, I, yeah I've heard neuropsychologists call the gut the second brain yeah, yeah. yeah. and because because we are a we, we often think ourselves as, as like individual parts yeah, you know, yeah I've got my brain I've got my heart yeah, and I've got yeah. this and I need to look after that yeah. part I think that's western we medicine are, yeah. D- different yeah. cultures of you know the Indian medicine very much yeah. about kind of mind and body being out yeah that whole yeah, yeah. And, 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 it, and it is and, and I guess that as well that like the soothe system where we talk about you know create, doing things to create that feeling of content feeling of safe and and, and I guess that it's like thinking of different activities that you can do and yes. and, and how you can help to do that um, yeah but I imagine Vicky on a lot of my podcasts I always talk about kind of uh, marginal gains and the compound effects and um, uh, you know how how little changes can, can lead to big things I'm a big advocate and any business I talk to I, um, I, I can't we kind of go down that track um and, and this is probably a similar thing isn't it that yes. um you, you start doing one little thing let, let's stick in the in the physical exercise domain you know you start to kind of do a, 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 a 10 minute walk each day or something uh, you start to do a bit of physical activity and then that starts to maybe have a knock-on effect on um on, on maybe eating junk food or something you start yeah. thinking well, I'm, I'm i'm doing all of this and yeah, all of a sudden I, I, yeah. I don't i don't want to put all this effort in and then yeah. put it waste it all away on empty calories or something and yeah. then so all, all of a sudden your yeah. your your food starts to have habits start to yeah. change and yeah. then maybe you, you drink or, or or whatever and and, and and then maybe it starts to lead to um something else starting to think about um journaling or um yes. you know, it just it compounds and it leads from one thing to another yeah that like you said, I guess that the ultimate of being the well-being is is how resilient that can make you. Um, yeah. Just like physical fitness can, how yeah. mental well-being can can make you resilient as well. 
yeah. Is, yeah. is that would you kind of agree with that is, is it yeah absolutely yeah. and I think make us resilient I think it's a community thing isn't it like that's the Wellbeing Vision Collective the idea of the collective is it's, it's doing it together yeah. and it's getting everybody's top tips yeah and every you know we are we know our I know myself best you know yourself best Ross yeah. Nicola you know yourself but you know what works for you you know what doesn't work for you and I think when we're going into organizations talking to them about what have you found that really works? What have you found that doesn't? And it's that collective, that community. Yeah. And like you say, it's small steps. And I tend to think about the drive, the soothing, the threat. Yeah. And talking about, you know, the threat system takes care of itself. We're really trying to work on the drive and the soothe to reduce the impact on the threat system. And what little things can we do in each of those areas that can really improve well-being in the organisation? For the drive one, it's often about thinking about what excites us, what is fun. How can we connect with our organisational values? Mm. Uh, what what helps us feel rewarded um yeah. and the soothe is often about yeah what what can we do what small small things that we can do to feel connected with each other yeah. um more um what can we do that helps us feel soothed so it might be making a phone call to a friend yeah. it might be meditation the amount of times i bring my singing bowl and people roll their eyes and go oh here she is again the hippie <laughs> the singing bowl. and i used to ask you said how would people feel if before we like started a workshop around I don't know mental health or around what is anxiety or around um promoting well-being in work I'd, I'd start and I'd be very polite going I wonder if we could just start with a bit of a grounding exercise to kind of shake off the morning so fast that we can really focus in the here and now and you'd hear people go oh, oh I don't ask now I just start and I would say usually over 90 percent of people in the room go it's about five minutes long at the most and some people have never done anything like that before and they'll typically go never done anything like that before that was amazing oh wow and oh. and usually people can do it people will think I can't do anything like that I can't do grounding I can't do relaxation I can't do meditation I can't do anything like that and they give it a go and they're like oh actually that was all right yeah um and that is just so soothing for the nervous system. And again, in terms of if we can soothe ourselves, our cognitive function is going to improve. Our emotional function is going to improve. We're going to be more creative. We're going to be more reflective. We're going to be more innovative. We're going to be more motivated. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Thing. And, and um, I, I think so. So if I'm understanding correctly, Vicky, kind of the, the, the drive and the soothe system kind of help to is it kind of like helping to quieten the threat system or, or, or is, I like that... to think of it in that way it's almost yeah. like what you tend to find is with these systems that if we're struggling if we're struggling mm. it's a threat system that is 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 the most active yeah um and if we can attend to the drive and the soothe more then we're more likely to reduce the threat system yeah. and I want to pick up on something Nicholas said before about using the word should I think like you said before I am fit and like Nicholas said before that sometimes we think we should we should yeah. and I often think and somebody we know very well Ross will often yeah. say the word should she's really really hot on language the word should is as soon as we're thinking we should do this it's probably not a good fit for us we're probably yeah. feeling obliged we're probably not very motivated to do it in terms of well-being, it's trying to find what is a good fit for you. Um, yeah. And for some people, it might be meditation. I want to. Yeah, for some yeah. people, it might be swimming. For some people, it might be walking. For some people, it might be sitting down and watching a film for the afternoon and just having a really good chill. It's what yeah. is a good fit for you. Yeah, 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 absolutely right. It's, um, uh, yeah, that, it's the, the importance of the language, isn't it? And, and uh, yeah, it, 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 one of, it's one of the co-founders of the Wellbeing Vision Collective. Yes. Can't really focus in on languages a yeah, lot, and really, really and, hard. And will will pick you up on sure, yeah. 
is that what yeah. you really need? And, and, and yeah, it, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. really helpful because it, it becomes your conscious start to think of it. So yeah, so so it's kind of like the the, the threat system in, in today's world. Or it, it, I guess this is like in our caveman times, the threat system, and it, it still is really useful, like you were saying. But in today's world, we face lots of different threats that don't require us to physically react, do, do they? And, and, and so I can really see the importance of, of the the drive and soothe approach. Yeah. It, it reminds me a little bit this of, of, of like the, the chimp paradox. Yeah. Where, where it's like the, the you know, and if, if anyone's not read that book, it's a, the chimp paradox, we'll put it in the show notes, but it, it, it talks about like you're in a monkey, you're in a chimp, yeah. isn't it? And, yeah. and, and you're yeah. in a chimp, I guess is a little bit like your threat system where it, it's, it's kind of like making noise in your head and, and reacting to things yeah uh, and and uh, you, it's it's then about what you do with that chimp to kind of like yes. keep it occupied or, yes. or or feed it or kind of like um yes. uh, or, or put it in a box type of thing yeah. It's, yeah you know he's that. done um the, a children's version of the yeah. book as well yeah 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 yeah, yeah. super important to be Might, teaching yeah. the next generations about yeah. as you yeah. say the, the choice of, that, of language that we use yeah. Yeah. yeah I was just thinking about the work that Nicola does at the print charity and when you think about the three different systems I'm thinking where some of the work that you're doing it'd be potentially connecting with the soothing the drive system yeah. particularly the helpline yeah. yeah yes um so it is very much um part of that as you say so so the the helpline's been launched now for two years and we've got something like over 12,000 people that we support um it is by invitation only which is why we don't publicize the number on social media because we do have to kind of manage how many companies we sign up because each company will get a relationship manager like myself and obviously the charity are paying for this so every time we sign a company up we do have to know the amount of employees but there are two main parts of the helpline one is the the practical side and, and one is the emotional and um the helpline is run by a, a third party company, um, so it's not the charity that the caller will actually phone. It's a dedicated number okay. and um, all the counsellors there are part of the BACP, which is the British Association of Counsellors and Psychotherapists. Very yeah. good. I'm impressed by that. I like that. Yeah, they're wonderful. And that's 24 seven as well. It's yeah. great. Um, so if you think about people coming off night shifts that, you know, want to yeah, call yeah. to go mm. home. Mm. And um, the other side, the practical side, um, they're like citizens advice bureau specialists. So yeah. they're, you know, great support to have. So when companies sign up with us, as I said before, they will get um, a dedicated relationship manager who, and we will help them to um, understand how to launch the helpline internally. We'll give them printed material and um, images they can put on their intranets or their internal communications and uh, once they're signed up then it's free for all of those employees plus family members and this is why you know we're so different is that any immediate family member of that employee living in the same household over the age of 16 can have access to the helpline mm. so if you think about the stress and anxiety of you know the, the kids um finishing gcse's going into a levels or going off to university and what they've been through the past 18 months mm. and also um partners of employees you might have the in-laws living with you whoever is in that immediate household can get support by phoning the helpline so 
it's um, there's two parts to it. The practical side is eight to eight, Monday to Friday, and that's very much a signposting service. Yeah. So it might be somebody who is recently bereaved and they don't know anything about organising funerals. It might be somebody who is going through a marital dispute or a relationship breakdown and kids are involved and they want to understand you know, more about child welfare. Mm. Uh, it could be anything. It could be somebody with um, drug or alcohol um, addiction and they want signposting. So it is a signposting service. And we have seen a great uptake in numbers during um, the past 18 months. So, you know, we're here to support people and no issue is too small as well. That's one thing that we say time and time again. If somebody yeah. thinks, oh, you know, I don't want to take up the telephone line because I don't think my problem's big enough, then honestly, please just pick up that that phone. Yeah. And then the second side is the emotional side, which is really close to my heart. I think it's just such a wonderful service that we provide so this is 24 seven. It's, as I said, with um, a professional counsellor or psychotherapist. And this could be a one off conversation where somebody's having an in the moment crisis. They need to talk to somebody to coach them through a situation or, as we discussed earlier, just to listen. Um, it might be somebody who is um, recognised that they've got childhood trauma and they've been to their GP and they're waiting for the NHS to um, help them with long-term therapy and yeah. we do fund up to four face-to-face -face sessions and that discussion is very much between the caller and the counsellor mm. and if it gets to a point where the counsellor thinks that that person needs a couple more than what well, as of the charity we will have a discussion with that counsellor but the guideline is we fund for face to face and that's just so powerful to have that yeah. uh, that support you know what and I, I think from the conversation to today with both of you what is is, is really apparent is that 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 you know for a business um let me step back a little bit that in in business that we you know one of the key things that businesses focus on is, is customer experience and to differentiate ourselves and why somebody would want to engage with a business and um and you know there's lots of evidence behind that that people will pay more for a for a product or a service if they know that a good customer experience comes with that good customer service and, and it makes me think of, of a, a, one of the famous quotes by Richard Branson, where he, he talks about, you know, clients don't come first. You, your employees come first yes. because you take care of your employees. Yes. They will take care of the clients. And that's yes. where the, the customer experience comes from. Um, and and I'm, I, you know, I'm really proud that I, I think for, for Tharson and for and lots of business I know as well, but for Tharson, our greatest assets are our people and our 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 talent that we've got, and yeah. and um and it definitely does make a difference. And um and for any printing business or any business there that, that you know, the printing charity is a great resource for them. Um and Vicky, what you do, you know, the Wellbeing Vision Collective, another fantastic resource to to yeah. help an organisation um look after their employees. Yeah. And, and dare I say, with not a great deal of effort. Uh, yes. You know, it, it's quite simple yes. um, to do um, simple things, I guess, to put in place. Yes, it needs a bit of 
uh, you know, it might not be, uh, it needs a little bit of effort, but uh, it, yeah. it's simple things and, and can make a, a little differences and big differences, you know, that, that kind yeah. of compound and compound. So I, I really yeah. think any business would be um, well, you know, time well spent to kind of explore what the printing charity has to offer and, and, and also the Wellbeing Vision Collective. And, and we'll put your contact details in the show notes if anybody wants to, to get in touch with you. Um, but you know, leading on from that, I think it's a great point to, to, to wrap up. What would be your, um, uh, Vicky, what would be your kind of top takeaway tips for a business um, to, to kind of, who's kind of like thinking, yeah, I'm interested in this? Um, I would really advocate, I think the mental health first aid training is absolutely wonderful. Mm. Have a look out there as well for psychological first aid training. Yeah. And I think exactly what you said, Ross, about that sense of looking after our people, looking after our teams, looking after our staff, yeah. because if we can look after them, then everything else will take care of itself. Mm. I really like the drive, the soothe and the threat system. Yeah. And I think if organisations think a little bit more like that and think about what are we already doing? Because usually organisations are doing a lot already. Yeah. What are we already doing and what can we enrich? Or what yeah. have we done before that we've lost? tends to be one of the things I find when I go into organizations they've had some stuff in place before but it's been lost yeah. and part of my role is to help them maintain that yeah so thinking about how can we help um our colleagues connect more with the drive system what are the values of our organizations how can I help my colleagues connect more to that mm. and for the soothe system what can I do to nourish nurture and um give my colleagues some TLC yeah. um and usually People have got those answers already within those yeah. organisations. You've got the, you've got the expertise. It's about listening to your to your to your staff. Um, people have got ideas about what works really well for me, what works really well for my team, and what doesn't. Um, yeah. And people have usually already got that. Um, they, they know, and yeah. it's it's about trying to implement that and put that in place for the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing that we try and do at the Wellbeing Vision Collective. It's that look we've got the psychological expertise you've got the expertise about your organization and what works for you and how can we embed that long term yeah that's great thank you Vicky. Nick, have you got anything to add to that as to kind of some top tips yeah. or takeaways so, i know that you're going to be putting our details at the end of the podcast yeah. such as the, the website and the different email addresses but i think i'd just like to say for individuals out there that may be um having um financial crisis emotional or practical they can come to our welfare team um at support at the printing charity.org.uk i know you're going to put those details so please as individuals or you can find me on linkedin if you're on linkedin reach out to me there if you want a personal chat and for business owners um, please don't be scared to come forward because a lot of business owners think, oh, well, you know, I don't think my colleagues have got um, any problems. I don't think we need a helpline. But actually, we don't know what happens behind closed doors. We don't know what happens at home. Mm. So please, um, you know, do get in touch again on LinkedIn. The details will be, be at the end of the podcast. Um, we are here to support practically, financially and emotionally. Um, and you can go to our website and sign up to the newsletter. Yeah. The newsletter is only once a month, so you won't get bombarded. And on a personal kind of takeaway, yeah. what I would say is 
try and find your happy place. Mm. You know, we've talked about this through the discussion. Yeah. Your happy place could be um, a 10 minute walk a day in the sunshine, speaking to a neighbor. It could be cooking. It could be doing yoga. It could be doing meditation. Um, I found my happy place in the past couple of years is in water. And I've, we talked about this, Ross, didn't we? Yeah. Um, I was watching a podcast on Wim Hof last night. And he was saying a cold shower a day keeps the doctor away. And I just love <laughs> cold showers. I love getting in the sea as much as I can. Yeah. That is my happy place. And even though I've always been a good swimmer, it's only been in recent years where I've thought, my God, this is where I really smile. Um, so just go and find your happy place, people. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I think that is great, great personal advice. And, you know, some great practical tips there. But, yeah, absolutely agree to find find something that you you know that you, you enjoy and that really fits in with the the soothe system there doesn't it as well Vicky as to you know finding something um so great advice um I, I've absolutely loved this conversation and I feel like we I could go on for 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 many more hours but we'll we'll we'll, we'll call a, a break there maybe maybe perhaps pick it up again as a follow-up session at some point that would be fantastic so uh Vicky Nicola thank you very much for your time today it's been really good talking to you both um and uh yeah uh, thank you for listening to the uh, to this particular podcast. If you if you've enjoyed it and found it useful, then please do do like and share and and uh, and, and add your comments uh, and, and tell other people about it. Um, if you've got any suggestions, what you'd like to hear on the podcast as well, then get in touch. We'd be more than happy to to, to uh, see if we can get them involved as well. Thank you very much, and uh, Thanks, Thanks, have a great day. Everyone. Thank you. Thank you.